I'm glad Jesus came and I am glad that Jesus died and and certainly without him we wouldn't have a sacrifice um, one prayer request I want to mention real quick, pray, pray for Brother Bob Stoffer. He'll be having surgery this week, and uh, so if you keep him in prayer, I know that he would certainly appreciate that. A uh, number, of, number of folks facing a um, number of issues in their life, and so just pray, as the Bible says, pray one for another. And, uh, and I know that that will be appreciated. I, I know a lot of people have been sick. I know a lot of people are sick still. And, uh, and so just keep each other in prayer. And, uh, and I'm glad that you're here this morning. And I'm glad that I'm here. Praise the Lord. I, I missed, I guess it was two weeks ago. And, uh, and I hate missing church. Man, I hate it. I, I want to be here. And so I'm glad that I can be here. I'm glad that you can be here. And I'm glad that we have online uh, for those that are sick and cannot make it. And, uh, and Wednesday we had all kinds of problems with it. But today we got it uh, working, I believe. And so uh, hopefully they're able to tune in. And sometimes, sometimes I think uh, the, the electronics get demon-possessed. I don't... I don't know what it is, but I'm just telling you, and it's not just our church. I mean, it's in the ministry all over. I've been all over, and people have problems uh, with electronics. I don't know what the deal is, and I like electronics, but man, when they don't work, it's frustrating. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter number 32, Exodus chapter 32, and I want to give us uh, some thoughts uh, about... Really, the Lord laid this verse, this passage on my heart, and uh, about about really thinking about the ideas of uh, of departing from God and how we do not want to depart from God. Uh, you know, as a missionary, for years I watched churches. Uh, that had supported us. And uh, we had gone to a lot of churches. Of course, we were missionaries uh, really from, uh, we went to the field in 2002, but we started raising our support much earlier than that. And so uh, for, for well over 20 years, we watched churches. And uh, I've got several churches. I can tell you where they're at, where they used to be. And, uh, and they supported us. And when we went there, they were a church just like ours. There was, I mean, we felt at home there. Uh, and I can't say that about every church we went to, okay? Uh, but, uh, but, but, I mean, they were good churches. And, uh, and over the years, we watched and they slowly, uh, they slowly moved away from God. And we'd get a letter later on, they would say, well, you know, we, we, we changed our name and, uh, and we're no longer a Baptist church. And it uh, wasn't long after that, we'd get another letter, we're sorry, our missions funds have declined and we're no longer able to support you. And I would continue sending them our prayer letter just because, uh, you know, uh, I thought, well, you know, maybe someday in the future or something, whatever. But, uh, uh, but I would watch them, and, and sadly, I can name at least two, two churches for you, one here in Ohio, one in Michigan, that uh, they absolutely closed their doors. You talk about a sad statement. That scares me. And then on the flip side of that, I remember one church we were in was... They were, we, we went there, uh, and uh, it was in Columbus, Ohio, matter of fact, and, and, uh, and they were celebrating their 100th year anniversary. Wow, what a blessing. That's something. Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, just like ours, 
They were still, uh, still going today, to my knowledge, and, and man, we, we, we had a great service, and, and, and that's what I want. How, how can we uh, keep from, from doing all of that? And so as we look at this passage, Exodus chapter 32 really deals with the nation of Israel. Uh, think about the fact that they had just come out of, of the bondage in, in, in Egypt, and uh, they had been in slavery there for some time, and God brought them out in Exodus chapter number uh, 13 and 14, and, and we find that he, they crossed the Red Sea, and that was certainly a picture of salvation, being brought out of bondage of the world, and then uh, going through the Red Sea is kind of a picture of baptism, and, and so as you follow the nation of Israel... Uh, you'll find that it's very much so a picture of the church and a picture of a believer's life and his salvation. And so as they, they go on, we find in Exodus chapter 32, they really have not been out of Egypt for very long. Matter of fact, uh, I was reading, and I started reading some of this, and I went back and I thought, well, what's, what's going on in this passage? And so uh, I, I thought, well, i got to go back and i got to study the backdrop to the story and find out. Well, I flipped the page backwards and, and started at that, and, and I thought, well, here's what's going on, is that God was communing with Moses. And so I had to flip the, the next chapter back, and God was communing with Moses. And I went back, all the way back from Exodus chapter 32, all the way back, if I remember correctly, to around Exodus is chapter uh, 24 or 25 was when God started communing with Moses. So they had not really been out of Egypt very long, and, uh, and, and God spent a great deal of time communicating a lot of truths uh, to Moses to give to the nation of Israel. But here in our text in Exodus chapter 32 in verse number 1, we find this, the Bible says, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods." O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early in the, on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of 
of Egypt. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us and we thank you for your many blessings. God, we thank you for the word of God that so often gives us examples in life of what not to do and what things we should be careful of and what things that we should guard against in our own lives. God, I thank you certainly that we could take opportunity to learn from your word and not have to experience these things. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart. And, and God, that we would take heed to the warnings that are given in your word. And Father, we'll thank you for that. And God, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, it's a, a very uh, eye-opening passage, really, in all reality, of something that took place. And, and let me just say this, I, I, I want us just to understand that we can look at this passage and say, wow, these are some things that we need to be on guard against in our own lives and in our own church, that, that these would not enter into ours. So I'm not saying that, hey, this is the direction we're headed and we need to cut it off. No, we sometimes a lot of things are just preventive maintenance. Does that make sense? You have a car, you change the oil in your car. I hope you do. I hope you've at least changed it at least once in a while. And I'm a big fan of preventative maintenance, and that means that I, I don't wait for my car uh, to, to fall apart and die on the side of the road before I take action. When I see something that's wrong, uh, or I, I know that something needs to be taken care of, such as an oil change. I keep track of that. I, got, I drive my wife crazy because I note down all my gas every time I fill it up, and, and then I have a little app on my phone, and, and as soon as my uh, oil change, uh, it, it pops up, and it says, oh, on your next fill up, you need to change your oil. You know what? I'm like, man, I'm going down, I'm getting the stuff, and I'm going to be all ready so that I can change my oil. And, and I, I do, why do I do that? Because I want my car to last as long as I can have it. I, I want to take good care of the things that I have because, man, there is nothing that I value more than value. I love to get stuff cheap and have it last a long time. I like to take care of stuff so that it lasts. Listen, a lot of things require maintenance and listen, our worship and our obedience to God is no different in our life in that, hey, we have got to take care. Uh, there's some maintenance things that we have to do. And sometimes we have to read through the Word of God and recognize, well, these are things that we need to be careful of. These are things that we need to be warned of from God's Word that we ought to steer clear of those things so that our wheels can continue forward so that we can do the very best we can for the honor and glory of God. And as we look at this passage, that's what I want us to see this morning, uh, not so that we could follow it and not because that's the direction we're headed, but rather so that we can just take note of some things to be warned about in our life so that, hey, we're not 10 years down the road, uh, 20 years down the road, and, and, and all of a sudden, well, things have to change and our church has to close the doors. We want to go as long as we can. We want to be that church that is, that is celebrating their 100th year anniversary. Now, I don't plan on being there for that. But I want our church to be there for that. I want our church to continue that long if the Lord tarries His coming. 
And so that's what I, uh, what I would like to see with our church. So as I look at this, uh, I want us just to, to note a few things. And the very first thing that we notice is very obvious and very apparent in the text. And I would have loved to read the whole chapter. I probably would have loved to read about three or four chapters, but for time's sake, I won't. So I, I want us to understand that as we look at this passage, the first thing that we notice is that Israel had departed from God's Scripture. They departed from it. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, I want you to notice here as we read this, the very first thing that takes place after, as Moses is up in Mount Sinai and he's communing with God, he's been up there for some time. Matter of fact, I told you, it goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 24. And you start reading and it says, and the Lord said. And you read on and it says, and the Lord said. And the Lord said. And, and Moses spent a great deal of time in Mount Sinai listening to God and communing with God and taking notes and writing everything down as God was explicitly giving Moses many commands and many laws that the nation of Israel would, would follow. And as Moses is up in that mountain, we notice that the nation of Israel has already started to turn aside. What's the first thing they did? They made an idol. They said, well, as for Moses... We don't know what's become of him. He went up into the mountain. We haven't seen him in at least a week, two weeks, three weeks. We don't know what happened to him. Maybe God took him home. Maybe he, uh, maybe he got scared and ran off the other side of the mountain and, and took off and went back to his father-in-law's to, to, to be a shepherd. We don't know where Moses is. And so the people there, uh, and there's many things that you could speculate about what took place. We don't really know. But we do know this, that they, they, they went to, uh, to Aaron and they said, hey, their, their demand is right there in verse 1, up, make us gods which shall go before us. Now, I'll allow a little bit of leniency for the nation of Israel. I don't think that their intention was necessarily, we need a new religion, but they were very sight-oriented people. And so they needed something that they could look at, not necessarily even that they wanted to leave God that brought them out of Egypt, but, but something that would represent God so that they could walk by sight and not by faith. But they had nonetheless departed from the Scripture that God had given with them. Go back with me. We're going to go back a little bit and, uh, and go back to Exodus chapter number 20. Save your spot here in Exodus 32 as we'll be back here. Go all the way back to Exodus chapter number 20. I started looking at this. And of course, Exodus 20, you'll recognize immediately, or uh, you, you should at least note this down, that in Exodus chapter number 20, we have the Ten Commandments. And of course, you know the law was much more than Ten Commandments, but they're recorded for us in Exodus chapter number 20. And he says here in verse number 1, Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 1, and God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now, just a minute before we, uh, we give this, uh, Moses, or God, is giving these commandments to Moses, okay? So just so we're clear on that. So God is speaking to Moses, and he says, I am the Lord thy God, in verse number 2, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. In verse number 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse number 4, thou shalt, make, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image 
or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below beneath, uh, earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Now, we're pretty clear on that verse. There's no it's self-explanatory. God was giving it to Moses, and it's pretty clear what he said. Go with me to verse number 22. And he repeats just about the same thing. He says there, uh, well, verse number 21. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. So we have at least two times, it's very clear, that God said, hey, you are not to make any graven images. You are not to make idols of gold or of silver. You're not even to make a likeness of Jehovah God in the form of gold or silver. We don't want anything any of that nature. God is very clear uh, as He gives that to Moses. Now, I want you to go with me just forward a few pages to verse number, chapter number 24. And look with me at verses 3 and 4. And in, and in this passage, this is just when Moses is getting ready to go back up into the mount. So he has come down after receiving that instruction from God. And the Bible says here in verse number 3, And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said will we do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And what I want us to understand in chapter 24 is that in chapter 20, where we just were, God was communing with Moses. God was giving Moses the instruction. And we see here in the beginning of chapter 24 that Moses has come down off of the mount, and now Moses is talking to the nation of Israel, and he is giving them what God has given him in Exodus chapter 20 and 21 and 22 as he was communing with God. And so what's important is, they knew what God had said. Because here in this chapter, I mean, there wasn't that many commandments. They were rather a simplistic set that God gave. And one of them very clearly was, hey, that they were not to make any graven images, not of gold, not of silver, not even a representation of Jehovah God, their God. There was to be no idols or no uh, made gods in their town. We find what's the first thing they do. Isn't it kind of like kids? You give them instructions. You tell them, don't do this. Do this. And then you leave. And the first thing you can do, you can almost count on it. Almost so that you don't even want to tell them, don't do this. Because as soon as you say it, you just gave them the seed thought of what they're going to do. And that's exactly what took place here. And so the nation of Israel, we find in chapter 32 in our text, back to where we were, the very first thing that they did uh, as Moses was delayed, because in chapter 24, uh, as you read through that chapter, and verse uh, chapter 25 opens back up at, at the end of chapter 24, Moses goes back up into the mountain, and in chapter 25 and chapter 26 and 27, all the way till 32, Moses is up in the mountain, and God is communing with Moses, and God is 
giving Moses even more laws. Matter of fact, you read through them, and it's quite incredible the detail that God gives to Moses while he's up in the, in the mountain. It's amazing, to be honest with you. And then the nation of Israel turns and, and says, well, we don't know where Moses is. Hey, let's make us a, 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 we need a God. Because they were looking for something that they could lay their eyes on. And as we think about this, I want us to understand this. Man is no different today than they were in that day. They're always trying to rationalize God's Word and make it say what it does not say. They're always trying to say, well, it'll be okay. God will understand. And, and after all, like I said, I don't think they were trying to incorporate uh, the Egyptian worship of the calf. And I think that's where the idea of the calf came from. Uh, but I don't think they were trying to go back to the Egyptian gods. Because if you look there in the text, Aaron said the very next day, hey, the next day is a feast unto the Lord. And they built altars unto the Lord. And so I think they were just trying to incorporate uh, some things that they had seen and they were trying to walk by faith and not by sight. But nonetheless, they were trying to rationalize away what God had said, do not make an idol, do not make a graven image, do not make something of gold. And they were saying, well, it'll be okay because it's, it's a replication of God. It's just something uh, that we can see. And man has always been trying to rationalize away the Word of God. And I'm just telling you that we need to be careful that we don't rationalize away the Word of God. Matter of fact, that's the same thing that the devil did in Genesis chapter number 3. When he came to Eve, he said, Yea, hath God said... Well, we can twist it here. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what he said, but certainly that's not what he meant. Listen, God is perfectly capable of saying what he means and meaning what he says. And, and we don't need to rationalize away the Word of God. You could find illustration after illustration of people that have rationalized away the Word of God and they're not following what God has written in His Word. We need to be careful of that in our own personal lives. An example that I came across uh, besides Adam and Eve uh, in the garden, but we remember, uh, you'll remember the story of when David, King David, was king of Israel. And the, the cart had been, uh, the, the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant had been taken away and, uh, and eventually uh, they were able to go and get it back. And, and so David goes down with some men and, and the priests and, and he brings them down and they make a brand new cart and they put this Ark of the Covenant on the cart and they load it up and they're, they're transporting the Ark of the Covenant from the place it was back to the temple uh, so that it could be in Jerusalem or to the tabernacle rather and uh, and as they're bringing it back into Jerusalem the Bible says that the the cart gets to a place where it kind of got tossed around a little bit and as it did uh, that Ark of the Covenant slid a little bit and Uzzah who was a man of God reached up and he put his hand on that Ark to help stabilize it because he did not want it to fall off what happened to Uzzah the Bible says that God killed him immediately now think about this. Who was Uzzah? Uzzah was a good man. Uzzah was not a wicked sinner. Uzzah was not somebody in rebellion to God. 
Uzzah was trying to, you look at, why did Uzzah put his hand up there? Because he obviously cared about the Ark of the Covenant. He did not want it to slide off. He did not want it to fall. He did not want it to get uh, messed up. And so out of a sincere compassion, Uzzah reaches his hand up and stabilizes the Ark of God. And when he does, he dies. What's wrong with this whole picture? You know what's wrong with the whole picture? They were transporting the ark of God incorrectly. God had told them, when you transport the ark of God, there were, there were two holes on either side. There were uh, islets, and, uh, and the priests, the Levites, were the only ones that were to transport the ark of God. And they were to take and get poles, and they would shove them through those islets. They were not to touch the ark of God. And they were to shove those poles through the islets on this side, and through the islets on this side. And priests on this side would bear the ark of the covenant walking everywhere that it went. That's how it was to be transported. God had indicated that in the Word of God. But what happened when David got in to be king and, and for whatever reason, uh, maybe ignorance of the Word of God, maybe just, uh, just not thinking about it, they thought, man, what a glorious day. We're going to bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem and what a great day it was and they were excited. But at the same time, they did not follow what God had indicated. And the way that God had said, you transport the ark of God in this manner. I don't know if they rationalized away Scripture or they just forgot or they were ignorant of it. I don't know exactly what is the case. But I'm telling you this, when man starts to walk away from the Word of God, there's problems. We need to guard in our life a strict adherence to the Word of God. I have two other things that we're going to look at. We won't take as much time, but I, I believe they're important. Look with me in Exodus chapter number 32. Not only did they depart from the Scripture, I want you to notice in Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 15. Moses is now coming down off of the mountain. Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 15. And the Bible says, And Moses turned and went down from the mount... And the two tables of the testimony were in his hands. And the tables were written on both their sides. And on one side, on the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted... He said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. Now here's Moses and Joshua coming down out of the mountain and uh, as they're on their way, they hear this noise coming from the camp. Now you know that it was the next day, it was the feast unto the Lord that the nation of Israel had planned and, and they were having a, a feast and celebration unto the Lord. But as they were arriving, uh, the Moses and Joshua are coming down and they hear this noise and they say, man, there's a, there's a battle I fear is going on. And Joshua, uh, Moses says, no, no, that's, that's not it. 
It's not for the the noise of a victory shout, and it's not the noise of people being overcome and being killed that we hear. They go a little bit and they listen a little more. Oh, it's the sound of music that we hear. And as we look at it, I want us to understand this, that you can, first and foremost, they departed from Scripture, but I want you to notice here as well that I think it's my opinion that they departed from God's song. You say, well, where do you get that? You look at it, Moses was unaware of what they were singing. Joshua was unaware of what they were singing. And there was a change that had taken place, and they were singing songs that Moses and Joshua did not know. And I think it was a different kind of song. Now listen, worship is one of the most important things in the Bible. What do you say that? Uh, Because listen, the book of Psalms is, is the largest book, and it is a book of songs that were written. King David wrote most of them, so they wouldn't have been written during their time. But nonetheless, hey, it is worship, and God is very careful about the worship. Matter of fact, He gives us many things uh, for our, our understanding so that we know how how to worship Him. Psalm chapter 150 says this, Praise ye the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and organ. Praise Him with upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And we're commanded over and over that we are to praise the Lord. Matter of fact, when Israel came out of bondage and crossed that Red Sea in Exodus chapter 15, is recorded a song of Miriam singing victory and praise unto God because he had thrown the horse and rider into the sea. And they were singing about it. And certainly, uh, praise has everything to do with exalting our Savior. And I'm just saying this, you might not agree with my analysis on that verse, but I can tell you this, that praise is important to God. That's true. And there's so many churches that are busy throwing out the old music and bringing in new music, and I'm just saying this, listen, much of it is not pleasing to God. We need to be careful of it. I think they switched the song. Listen, we have a songbook over here, and uh, and I and and people are like, well, you know, they're they're old songs. They're listen, they're good songs. We have over seven hundred songs in this book. Can I tell you something? This book does not even contain them all. I'm talking the old hymns. I'm talking the good stuff. They're not even all in here. Seven hundred. We don't even know them all, to be honest with you. I open up songs and I look at them. I'm like, man, I don't know that song. We need to learn that song. I don't know this one. I don't know that one. And I'm just saying that we have got to be so careful that when we, when we depart from God's Scripture, when we depart from God's song, and listen, the Bible is so clear. There's so many good songs out there. And it's not just hymns. But it is curious. The Bible mentions hymns. It says in Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I'm just saying we got to be careful that our music
is always honoring and glorifying to God. There's nothing wrong with the old hymns. There's nothing wrong with, with singing psalms. There are so many scripture songs. I told my wife the other day, man, I'd love to sing some scripture songs. I love scripture songs. So many good choruses. Not everything is always bad, but I'm just saying we've got to be so careful and guard that we don't throw out the old stuff and, and, and totally take on new stuff and, and forget the old things because, listen, God has established the form of worship. There are psalms in the Word of God that they've been singing since, uh, since before Jesus came. And I'm just saying that we need to stick to the old paths of the music. We don't need a new song. We need to sing the songs that we have and stick to the songs that God has given us and God has approved of. And this music was unknown to Moses and Joshua. Let me just say this. Music, set aside the words for a minute, just music is very powerful. We have to recognize that. You remember when Saul had that evil spirit? And I preached about this about a year or so ago or a while ago. And Saul had that evil spirit that came to him. You know what he did? He had David. David, the shepherd boy, bring his harp and come play for him. David, who wrote probably the majority of the psalms that are written. And David would play and sing. And the Bible says that evil spirit departed from Saul. I want our music that's not going to drive God away, but that would bring God in, would drive evil spirits out, would bring God to our church, to our worship service. That's what I want. Listen, they departed from God's song. Not only did they depart from God's song, they departed from Scripture, but I want you to notice one other thing. Look with me in verse number 25. Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 25. The Bible says, And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies... Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Not only did they depart from God's scriptural way of worship and, and doing things God's way, but then they, they departed from God's song. And here in verse 25, uh, they departed from God's standard of living. Now, I read that. And I, I thought, I'm going to look up, I'm just curious what other, other people think about that. And I read, and, and about half the commentary skipped commenting on that verse. And a lot of them rationalized it away and said, well, that's not really talking about nakedness. Listen, the Bible says, and when Moses saw the people, that the people were naked. Now, nakedness a lot of times in Bible is just, is not, a hundred percent naked. A lot of times it is uh, dressed, but it's dressed immodestly. 
And so uh, I think the people there uh, were very immodest before God. After all, Moses saw it before the people. And the Bible says there in that same verse that it was their shame among their enemies. Therefore, it was uh, something that was visible uh, and something that other people would notice and other people would take note of. And I'm just saying this, uh, that, that I believe the Word of God literally in this case and that I think those people were dressed inappropriately in whatever matter it was, and I'm just saying that they had departed from God's standard. They departed from God's scripture, they departed from God's song, and they departed from God's standard. And listen, God is very specific about dress in the Bible. Matter of fact, you go back and you read, go with me to Exodus chapter 28. I want you to see this. Exodus chapter 28 is a very interesting verse. And listen, God in Exodus chapter 28, you know what he does? He specifies for for the entire chapter the dress of the priests of Levi. It's very interesting. I'd encourage you to go back and read it. But I want you to notice this in Exodus chapter 28 and verse number 4. He says this, And they are the garments which they shall make a breastplate and an ephod, a robe and a broidered coat, a mitre and a girdle, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. He goes on for the next, uh, for the next 40 verses and he explains in, in minute detail all the clothing for that priest. Now let me tell, ask you this. If God took all those verses to describe for you what the priests were to wear, you think it was important to God? No doubt. He wrote it down. He specified the colors. He specified how it was to be. He specified every detail about their clothing. And the the only conclusion that I really want to draw from that is that God, it is important to God what we wear. It is. And we need to understand that. Now, I'm not advocating that we wear the priest's garments. That was for the priest's time. But I do want us to understand that it is important to God what we wear. You can go throughout Scripture over and over and over and find times where God specified uh, what was to be worn or, or, or how important things were that were to be worn. Matter of fact, in Mark chapter number 5, it's interesting to find that the maniac of, God, uh, of Gadara, he was a wild man. And the Bible says that he was a demon-possessed man. And it makes a point to say that he ran around naked, living in the tombs and cutting himself. But after Jesus finds him, And he takes all those demons and he casts them into the swine. They all run off the cliff and they all die. The Bible says that the town came out, and you go back and you read it, Mark chapter 5, and they found the man sitting and clothed and in his right mind. God makes a change in people's dress when he changes their life. And like I said earlier with Scripture, 
man is constantly trying to rationalize away what God has said. But I want you to notice this, Ezekiel 22 and 26, talking about, uh, talking about trying to whitewash everything that God says. Uh, the Bible says, Her priests have violated my law. They have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. And I'm just saying that God does find it important the clothes that we would wear and how we would dress. And listen, I understand. I lived in Peru. I understand. I'm not advocating that uh, that that if you uh, if you don't come to church in a in a suit and a tie and and a dress that you're wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you that if you that the it's the clothes that you put on is important to God. He specified it to the priests in detail what they were to wear. He doesn't lay it out for us what we are to wear in detail today. He doesn't say that you have to wear a white shirt or this or that. Or he, he doesn't give us the details, but I can tell you this, that it is important. And he does say this in the book of 1 Timothy 2.9, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Listen, God is, God is not interested and that we would, uh, that he was saying in that portion that, hey, we would be modest. I think modesty applies both to men and women. I can tell you, go through the scripture and find all times when, when God condemned nakedness. And I'm just saying what we wear is important. That's all I'm saying. And these people in Israel, they departed from God's scripture. First thing they did, make us a God. Make us a calf. Make us something out of gold that we can see. Two, they departed from God's song. They started singing things that Moses and jo Joshua did not recognize, did not even know what it was. And then they were shamed before their enemy because they were made naked before their people, other people. And I'm just saying that we have got to be careful. Those are things that we need to guard against in our life. Our culture... And the world are constantly pulling us, saying, why don't you do this? We live in a generation, we live in a day and age when people are questioning everything, everything that you do. Why do you wear black shoelaces on your shoes? That's why I wear cowboy boots. I don't have to tie my shoes. Why do you part your hair on the side? Because that's the way I've always parted it. But they are questioning everything we do, everything we act, everything we say. Who? The world, this generation that, that says, hey, we want to, we want, we want, you know what they want to know? How far is my leash from God? How far can I go away from God and still be tied to that leash? And they're trying to find the end. Listen, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm not trying to find the end of my leash. I'm trying to get as close to God as I can. I'm not looking for my liberty. Bless God, I, I give stuff up for myself because I care about what God cares about. 
things that aren't even wrong. 